AI in Action is brought to you by Aulis International, covering your business's staffing, consulting, and networking needs. Our host brings you the leading minds in AI, sharing their story, their success, and their advice. Focusing on fast-tracking you to the top, AI in Action cuts through the hype to help you kickstart your data science career. To listen to the latest AI in Action podcast, head over to www.aldis.com forward slash podcast, or subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Podcasts. You're listening to AI in Action. I'm your host, JP Valentine. Our guest today is Liu Zhang. Liu is the Director of Data Science for Machine Metrics. Liu, welcome to the show. Great to be here, JP. Thank you for having me. Our pleasure, Liu. So let's start with yourself. Can you give us a brief overview of your background, where you first got started in technology? Talk us through your journey, some of the roles you've held along the way taking us up to your current position leading the data science practice at Machine Metrics. Yes, absolutely. So I actually, uh, my my undergrad education was in finance and economics. So it wasn't directly within the realm of technology, but I kind of moseyed my way over here uh, over the course of a couple of years. Um, I, I actually started at an economic consulting firm uh, called the Berkeley Research Group. Um, quantifying damages in lawsuits uh, for corporate clients. Um, And so, you know, that was kind of tangentially related to what I'm doing now, uh, basically using big data tools like SQL and uh, SAS to try and figure out, you know, how much uh, big clients should be (laughs) suing each other for, frankly. And um, as you can imagine, you know, I I didn't find that very satisfying personally. Um, I, I felt like uh, my skill sets uh, weren't necessarily being used um, for the betterment of society. Um, I, I, you know, we had some clients that were a little unsavory, and um, at the end of the day, you know, I thought to myself, well, you know, what could I be doing to actually, um, you know, move the world in in a way that I, I actually wanted to move instead of just, you know, kind of making rich people richer. Um, and so from there, I, I jumped to a company called Tyco International. Uh, which is a, a big manufacturer of um, all sorts of industrial components from sprinklers to valves, um, stuff that goes inside walls that you can't really see. Um, and I had a, a product management role there, uh, launching new products and uh, basically still working on the quantitative side of things a little bit. But mainly, um, you know, as they call it, herding cats. Um, so mainly making sure that projects were moving forward. Uh, kind of serving as a scrum master sort of role. And I thought that was interesting uh, for for a bit. And I I actually really liked uh, manufacturing because you were making things that had a tangible impact on people's lives. Um, You know, sprinklers saving people's lives, valves and pipes and fittings, you know, essential towards uh, constructing safe buildings that are comfortable to live in. Um, So I really wanted to stay in manufacturing. And so, you know, fast forward a little bit and um, much more related to what I'm doing now, uh, I got a job at the Association for Manufacturing Technology, AMT, in Washington, D.C., and they are the uh, advocacy organization for advanced manufacturing, uh, machine tools, robotics, uh, things of that sort. Um, I was on the strategic analytics team there, uh, which means that I, I really interacted a lot with leadership and CEOs. Um, at our at our members, which were usually small and medium size, uh, all the way actually up up to really large manufacturers. Uh, so the the entire spectrum and helping them run analysis to help optimize their businesses. Um, I also served in a 
advocacy role a little bit. So attending um, you know political functions in DC and really working with uh, political leadership to try and you know push through policies that were favorable to to manufacturing. Um, and then from there, you know that's when I really actually got into data science. My next role um, was at a company called IHS Market, uh, a big data conglomerate that owns Carfax, Root Metrics, um, recently bought up by S&P Global, actually. So they uh, really have uh, a lot of great data sets on all sorts of things. And um, I was a data analyst there in their advanced, uh, in their advanced analytics team. Um, that was incredibly interesting, actually. We were um, using data sets from companies that we acquired uh, to uh, create data products that we could then sell to uh, to our other clients. Um, so, you know, really using um, a, a very heavy technical skill set there uh, to create products that we could actually commercialize. And then uh, from there, actually, my my mentor at AMT, uh, Russ, um, he actually knows the co-founders at uh, my current company, uh, Machine Metrics, and uh, currently I serve as the as the director of data science. I actually started here about three years ago when we were tiny, you know, pre-Series A funding, uh, seed funding. It was just 20 people at that time uh, as their first data scientist, um, and I was really in charge of kind of scoping out what we could do with these large data sets that we were collecting from machine tools across the United States. Um, my specific uh, role was to see if there was any predictive power uh, by leveraging uh, cross-machine data sets um, across different factories and different facilities um, that ran the same machine tool. Lou, Lou, let me jump in there and, and thank you so much for that overview because it, it tells quite a, an interesting journey coming from where you started to exploring interests, which have now led you to a director of data science role. Um, before going into any more detail about the evolution of your role from joining as lead as, as first data scientist to now director of the group, tell us who machine metrics are um, because it's, it's quite fascinating, but I want to give a, a high level overview of who the organization are and what you guys are doing to, to impact space with, with modern technology? We started about five or six years ago, uh, and we're a, a venture capital funded um, startup in the space. Um, we really wanted to start the company to uh, basically help bring manufacturing to the 21st century. Um, our, our primary product uh, back a couple of years ago was uh, to really monitor what machines are doing on the shop floor. So if you think about um, just just the basic stuff, you know, seeing when your machine is on or off or in an, in an alarm state or if there's something going on on, on the machine, that uh, wasn't really the status quo, you know, back 10, 20, 30 years ago. And what we started with was just this very basic, you know, machine monitoring product that could tell you, well, is your machine on or off right now? Are you ahead or behind on your parts? Uh, did it stop for a reason um, that you didn't know about. Um, and so it was uh, incredibly value add for our customers just to be able to log in from home and then look at what their machines were doing uh, at their at their shop floor, you know, five miles away or something like that. And um, gradually, you know, now what we're transitioning to is becoming sort of an industrial IoT platform uh, for Industry 4.0. And, you know, there's a lot of buzzwords there, but <laughs> frankly, what it really means is we're, we're looking to be that operating system for the factory floor, um, you know, integrating with various ERP systems, having APIs that 
uh, customers can use to build applications on top of with um, you know, all the data that machine metrics is collecting. And my specific role is uh, really at, at, at the heart of that, which is to enable um, what, what we call autonomous um, machining and, and manufacturing, which really means you know, uh, trying to, uh, to enable lights out manufacturing on the shop floor. Um, so if you think about lights out manufacturing, it's really hard to do. You have to have a lot of processes in place and you can't just set the machine and, and let it go uh, without any planning really. Um, and key to that actually is being able to predict when your machine is going to stop or fail or break apart or crash. Um, so um, my my role is really to look at these large uh, data sets, you know, petabytes of data from from these, uh, you know, thousands of machines that we're collecting data from, and see if there's any common patterns that exist between them uh, that manifest before failure. Um, this was previously quite difficult to do in the past because data was rather siloed. You know, you had one factory putting their uh, all their data files from that machine up on a desktop computer, um, and then you know that that's that was pretty much it. Um, but our approach is really a cloud-only approach, so we we leverage the AWS ecosystem in order to collect data on uh, mass from you know thousands of machines across the United States and use that, mine that data in order to find these patterns and um, really deploy applications completely remotely um, out to these uh, factories in order to stop their machines before we see potential failure. Um, so part of the novelty behind this and part of why we're, you know, this VC funded SaaS company is because we're really looking to make a scalable product. It's a product that um, doesn't, you know, need additional sensors um, that's, uh, that that are aftermarket in, uh, installations. We use the embedded sensors inside the machine, and people literally just have to plug in an Ethernet cable uh, into this, you know, edge device that that we mail you guys, um, and they can get started with this. Um, during the pandemic, actually, we implemented a predictive system that um, was able to save one of our customers tens of thousands of dollars every year. And we never stepped foot on their factory floor. We never flew there. You know, nobody ever had to. Uh, you know, worry about getting COVID. Um, that was um, that that really, to me, demonstrated the real power behind this. Um, yeah. That you know, it's it's not just a it's not just like a one-off thing. Um, it's it's really something that we can repeat over and over again. Absolutely. No, I think that's a, a very well laid out overview of the the company, but also impact the industry. So before moving on and talking about the growth of your team and the outlook on the future. I want to stay on this topic of of impact because, uh, you know, people hear about the fourth industrial revolution or Internet of Things. And as you said, they're quite buzzwords. But to help us further visualize, you know, where this trend is going to, can you give us some some interesting examples other than the the recent one with COVID or the types of organizations who are now looking to implement this technology um, in terms of size, scale and, and, and just how big a difference this can make in terms of revenue, man hours, and everything else? Yeah, that's a great question, JP. Um, so I'll just start by saying that this technology isn't targeted towards any specific uh, segment of the market. We have customers that are small on the pop shops all the way up to you know publicly traded Fortune 500 companies who are engaging with us on this um, predictive technology. Um, what I will say is that one of the 
very unique aspects of this um, product that really kind of addresses how manufacturing works in the United States, especially, is that um, it's actually it 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 gives um, small and medium-sized manufacturers, um, you know, 10, 20, 50 machines um, who previously didn't have access to industry 4.0 technologies. You know, it was hard for them to engage with the big conglomerates of the world like SAP or, you know, Siemens, and you know, they they can't spend you know millions of dollars in outlay in order to get started with this sort of stuff. Um, and what we've done is we've really made it a, a plug and play approach for them. Um, you know, they don't have to have huge outlays. You know, the, we we sell the hardware to them at cost. Uh, we don't have a consulting fee, and you know, we just have an annual subscription so that they can, you know, they can start and stop us whenever they want. And you know, the fact that we don't have to go on site and bring a whole team there for a couple of weeks and you know consult with them about a whole bunch of stuff. Um, that's really enabled a lot of these uh, manufacturers that have been left behind the past couple of years uh, to be able to experience, you know, these cost savings and these efficiencies. That's such a good example, Leo, and it's great to hear yet another example of, you know, modern technology disrupting the space and democratizing data, whereas traditionally it was the big multinationals who could afford to invest in this, but machine metrics are now bringing it to the, to the doors of any enterprise who wants to be more efficient and whether it's man hour savings, increased productivity, you know, better, better production lines, less churn, less breakdown. There's so many uh, implications to having uh, the machines running better, which, which is great. So Lou, talk, I want to go through your journey because you mentioned that you came in as the very first data scientist back in, you know, what was March of, of 2018. So, can you talk us through the evolution of the data team, how it's changed over time and what it looks like currently and giving us some insight into the day-to-day of your, your data team? Sure. Um, so when I first started, it was just me, obviously. Um, and I, you know, I spent a lot of time just getting the, the, the lay of the land, um, trying to ascertain exactly how robust our data was, um, if there were any holes in it, if there was anything... Uh, of issue with how we were collecting data, and really for the first year, I, I would say it was it was a lot of that. It was a lot of data cleaning. It was a lot of trying things to see if they would work. Um, and at that time, we actually brought on uh, an in, in, in intern. Uh, he was a, a PhD student at a university near us um, to to help with all of this, um, because you know a lot of companies who collect tons of data. Um, they don't necessarily take the time to really understand what that data is and what value it has to them. Just because you have a lot of data doesn't mean that it's actually all that valuable. Um, and so we really wanted to highlight the pros, the cons, you know, what we thought would be a nice direction to take the, the data science team the first year. And a year might sound like a long time for that, but I assure you, um, it, it's not. <laughs> it's There's plenty of things to do during that year. Um, you know, we looked at uh, how viable it was to look across our entire customer base uh, to find trends. Uh, we, we looked at potential data products that we can make out of this that were novel to the industry. Uh, we, we looked at, um, you know, real technical things like sampling frequency of our data and what was suitable for, for our purposes. Um, and then year two, 
was when we raised our Series A. So that was an $11 million Series A, which was huge for us. Um, so in addition to having an intern, uh, we were able to bring on another full-time data scientist. Um, so uh, he's a, a key member of, of our team, obviously Brock, and he is uh, he's he's really in charge of um, continuing the, the 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 data acquisition and data cleaning, uh, as well as some of the more advanced uh, machine learning stuff that that we do here. Um, and uh, right now, uh, because of uh, you know the the pandemic and because of um, you know, headcount and, and things like that. It's just me and him. Um, you know, sometimes it's it's me, him, and and a couple interns. Um, but right now, you know, we're really focused on bringing this product to market and really being able to demonstrate value to customers and ultimately, you know, translating that into a revenue stream for for machine metrics. Um, so that's just a, a brief overview of the evolution of the team. Um, we're looking at actually raising our Series B. In the next couple of months, and the plan is to, you know, build out the data science team even more, um, hire a data scientist who specifically focuses on uh, perhaps the machine learning uh, aspects of of the data. So working with Spark um, and and big data tools, as well as perhaps bringing in uh, a data scientist to look at more product data science. So looking at how users are looking at our products and how, um, you know, we could perhaps uh, evolve our product to, to the next step using this sort of quantitative user data that that we've been collecting. Um, so there, there's a lot of exciting things for us uh, going ahead. And uh, what we see is this is just the beginning of the journey. Um, you know, there's there's plenty of growth uh, to be had in the next couple of years. Yeah, and, and with an industry that's only going to continue to invest in this type of technology, I'm sure there's a lot of projects and a lot of work down the, down the line for you. I want to get your take, Lou, on this, the impact, not just to people in manufacturing, because it's something you and I spoke about previously. I know it's something you're passionate about, and I, I think it's important to celebrate, to impart to, to dispel some of the, the negative aspects or negative myths associated with uh, industrial automation and, and the fourth industrial revolution. There's a lot of positives that people are not as aware of, um, so I think you'd be the ideal person to, to, to shed some light on that. Sure. So let me just first say that everywhere we've, you know, implemented this predictive technology, it there there were never any headcount reductions um, because all it did was add, you know, more more money to spend to these enterprises. They're not, you know, wasting money, making scrap parts, breaking tools, having downtime. And when your revenue increases from that, you know why 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 would you cut your workforce your you you would expand and and not you know not not shrink i guess um so so that's that's my experience in in terms of um you know the 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 potential fears of disrupting the labor market um and uh, a lot of these um you know people who were spending their time you know picking out scrap parts from bins or you know very tediously reconfiguring the machine every time it crashed their time has been freed up to more high value activities. Um, so working with me to improve the algorithm, um, you know, looking at higher level strategic initiatives, you know, that now there's extra money given back to the organization to uh, to, 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 to train them. Um, so this is this is really a, a positive and virtuous cycle is, is what I see. Um, kind of on, on the second part of your question, which is, you know, where, where do you see this sort of all going? Um, 
you kind of envision the you know autonomous factory of, of the future you know 2250 machines are making machines uh it's, it's just a a cycle that doesn't necessarily need humans and you know that might sound scary to some people um but but to me that that sounds like you know it really frees people up to to not have to do some of these tedious things that were really central to the manufacturing process in the 20th century and frankly, you know, if we're not the ones doing this in the United States, um, other countries are going to figure this out and they're going to reduce their costs. They're going to streamline their, their operations. And frankly, you know, people that I've talked to in academia and in nonprofits actually feel like this is a national security threat for us if we don't address this immediately. Um, you know, you, you can't be competitive globally in the 21st century if, you know, 75% of your production capacity is still people writing uh, stuff on chalkboards and trying to track their production uh, with, with notepads. Um, there are a ton of uh, liabilities with that. And I think, um, you know, organizations that I've talked to like NIST or, uh, you know, like, uh, like AMT, um, they're, they're well aware of this and they're well aware that, you know, organizations like Machine Metrics um, we need to kind of step up and make sure that we kind of evangelize not just the potential good parts of the technology that, that we're doing, but also the the risks of not doing anything. Um, so, you know, it's going to be a different century. Um, and um, this this next decade, these next couple decades coming up, I think are really going to be a make it or break it point in terms of uh, American manufacturing, American competitiveness and, and, and innovation. And we need to keep pushing on these sorts of technologies in order to you know, maintain the status that, that we had in the 20th century. Um, you know, we're, we're not gonna get there by just doing the status quo. Uh, we have to innovate, continually move forward and make ourselves a little uncomfortable, just like we have you know, for the past 100, 200, 300 years. Um, that's what this country is built on, is a continuous cycle of ingenuity and and innovation. Absolutely. I, I think that's a perfect way to end the conversation. It, the, the message I have taken from this is if we rely on this type of change and evolution to happen from the top down, we'll be left lagging in the wind. It's top down, it's bottom up, and everyone can play their part. And uh, Machine Metrics are a perfect example of, of an organization who are playing a pivotal role in this. So. Lou, thank you for your time. We appreciate you coming on, talking to us about your role, business, and, and what's in store. We would look forward to seeing what you guys can accomplish. Great. Thank you for your time, JP, and I enjoyed talking to you today. AI in Action is brought to you by Aldus International, covering your business's staffing, consulting, and networking needs. Aldus offer an exec search program. Aldus can help you discover how data science and AI can transform your company. With our unrivaled network of C-suite executives and senior AI professionals, we offer retained search services across the US and Europe. Get the Aldous advantage. Become a member of the Aldous community and enjoy some of the following. AI meetups. Once a month, our community gathers to listen to some of the leading experts in the world of data science and AI. Our speakers come from all over the world, including Dublin, Boston, and Frankfurt. We also have our AI mentors. Our experts will provide mentoring to Aldous members. And don't forget our AI in Action podcast. Each week we have guests from all over the world talking us through their education, career and more. Become an Aldous member and get the Aldous advantage. For more information and to sign up for our newsletter, log on to www.aldous.com. That's www.aldous.com. 
All is international, empowering through AI.